This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right. Well, that's uh, that's actually Eric Lopez here will be hosting here. No Jeff Sharon on this episode. That's what happens when you talk trash when the other guy wasn't here. But I'm back, Murph. I'm back after a week off and uh, doing okay. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. I, I assume at this point that means that next week is my week off because if you took off last week and Jeff takes off today, so am I gone? I'm already gone next week. I've Actually, I've already mentally checked out. <laughs> For next week's podcast, just to let you all know. Well, I do know next week uh, volleyball starts, so we might be doing a volleyball preview show. So that would be probably on schedule for you, for you on that. Because uh, I have a feeling Jeffrey hey, is going to focus I, on volleyball there. I love that. I love that team. Coach 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 is great. Yeah, it's not my forte, but uh, you know, I could I can contribute maybe possibly. Who knows? Well, coming up, we have a another spring sport we'll talk about later that has announced their schedule. Oh, baby, Let get ready for February madness. Uh, women's soccer announced their schedule. But coming up on this show, we're going to recap UCF men's basketball. Why we're out here a little later on the podcast than normal, because UCF uh, played a noon tip on Thursday. They lost to Temple. We'll recap that game and what it means for the program after being off for almost two weeks. Plus the comings and goings in UCF football. Plus huge guests here, folks. Matthew Wright, fresh off. His NFL experience with the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be joining us, Murph. You and I got a chance to talk to him. We did, and he's fantastic and talked to us all about his Steelers days and what he's doing now and reflected on his UCF career. Very nice uh, job by the the three of us, if I, if I may say so. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to uh, having that chat with him coming up here in a little bit. Of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banner. And of course, check out black and gold And of course, like us on Facebook uh, as well for all the latest in UCF. All right, Murph, let's get into it. Nothing like a little Thursday afternoon basketball. UCF back on the court, the men's team back in the court after 11 days off, right? It's like, I, I don't even remember the last time they played, um, it, I do, I do. I was there. It was in Tampa on a Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> a lot's changed. I feel like uh, so back on the court playing Temple. This was a game that was scheduled originally for Wednesday night. Got pushed back to Thursday at noon to get the game in. These are two teams that have had issues with COVID issues. And uh, look, I mean, let's be real. I mean, UCF to me played like a team that had been off for a long time. Uh, struggled from the field, shooting uh, only thirty three percent from the uh, overall. Uh, and lose to Temple, sixty-two to fifty-five. UCF did not. Uh, it was, I think, missed their last five shots. Temple kind of gave them a chance at the end there with some turnovers, and Temple didn't score in the last three twenty-one of the ball game. But uh, critical possession down the stretch there. UCF down three there with and uh, the inbound play for Darren Green, but he stepped out of bounds. Murph, right? As I remember watching, it was like uh, just kind of it. It just seemed like the, the the whole game was out of sync, and I don't know what I I don't know how what to say when you're out. You know, you just had a COVID case, and and you had to stop, and you haven't played for both you know eleven days. I mean, I don't know what we I was to what we could expect. Yeah, and it you know really it's not even just UCF, but it looked like Temple was also pretty rusty. Again, this is only their second game of the new year because of their pause. So both these teams. 
it was not a very aesthetically pleasing game offensively. It was a very messy game. There were a handful, a handful of air balls, turnovers, bad offensive sets. But just strictly, just strictly speaking from UCS point of view, you know, yeah, it's kind of the offense you expected. You know, I hate to say that, but with such a long layoff, plus the fact that this team really hasn't had a chance to practice much, and, and we'll have, you know, Johnny Dawkins, uh, a clip from his uh, postgame press conference here in a minute to talk about that, but they haven't practiced much. They haven't really been together much. Darius Perry did not play in this game uh, for undisclosed reasons. Um, but so with all of that combined, the offense was, uh, for most of the day, stagnant, ugly. Um, you know, there were four different stretches in this game, which UCF went without a basket for more than four minutes. So, I mean, that's at least 16 minutes of a 40-minute game, which UCF was not scoring a basket. They had, they had stretches of six minutes. They had a stretch from the late first half to the early second half that stretched over about seven minutes. Um, like you said, they missed their last five shots. Uh, they had three baskets in the last 10 minutes of this game. Offensively, they didn't. They just couldn't do a whole lot. And sometimes, um, you know, you know, sometimes it's, it's just you know, well, it's not going. It's not going down for you. I get that. Sometimes that happens. But man, oh man, if it's Darius Perry's out there, I think this is a more functional offense. And if this team just has more practice time, it's more functional offense. It was just, um, it was really uh, sort of the kind of performance you would put, you would expect from a team that uh, has barely practiced in the past week and a half. Uh, the positive, Darren Green, I thought, looked good. 17 points, 7 of 12 from the field, 3 for 4 from the three-point line. Uh, I thought he was solid. I thought Isaiah Adams played well. Remember, we, he didn't play in that USF game, so he had a longer layoff than everybody. Uh, yeah. He, he also yeah. scored 17 points. Uh, that was the two big positive. The negative, though, Brandon Mahan, once again, struggled Four points, one of nine from the floor. What do you make of Mayhem's struggles? Because it's clear. One thing is clear this year. They need Mayhem to be solid offensively. It's been that's been the formula. It's been him, Green, and Adams that have provided the score. And then usually, if one of them is off, or or two of them is obviously if they're off, but especially if there's one of them is off, and that's been Mayhem recently. They struggle. Yeah, and you wonder now if we're bordering on a confidence issue because. This is, you know, a, a few games in a row now where uh, the shots just haven't been there for him. And, and you know, he tried to be more active in this game than certainly he was against uh, USF. And, and so that was nice to see. But when nothing's falling and, and, and now it's a, it's over a multiple game stretch, uh, you have to wonder if he's lost some of that early season confidence that he showed against teams like Florida State and Cincinnati. Um, so that's, con- that's concerning. I, I, yeah, the biggest positive offensively is probably Isaiah Adams. Um, because he'd been out for so long. He'd been sick, non-COVID. Uh, he had missed, you know, maybe three weeks of action since playing his last game. Uh, and I thought looked kind of weak or tired in the first half and then much more aggressive, much more pep in his step in the second half. So that was good to see. Um, Darren Green does what he does. He's going to hit shots. Uh, you know, they drew up a shot for him to, to take a three-pointer on really that last consequential possession of the game where he stepped out of bounds off the inbounds pass, that was going to be a play for him. Uh, and, he, and he had already hit three threes in this game. Um, but that's what he does. Sometimes the shots fall for him, and that's great. Um, but really, I thought the best offensive like positive was that Isaiah Adams looked in the second half more like the Isaiah Adams we had seen early in the year. And a guy that right now, like you said, Eric, they're going to need a whole lot more of considering where Mahan is right now with his game and the fact that we don't know when Perry returns. 
So the Knights are now three and four, one and three in the American. Uh, this is a you know tough tough loss here. This is a tough loss. Do you think? It, it, do you think no? It would not have mattered who the opponent was. They were gonna. This was gonna be a tough game because of the lay. How much of this is the layoff? Uh, I know you got to be part of the post game with Coach Dawkins. We haven't heard from Coach Dawkins uh, in a while. What did he have to say uh, overall? Yeah, I think no matter who the who this you know team was playing, if it's the best team or the worst team in the American, it was gonna be a tough game for UCF because um, they just haven't been on the court. They haven't been on any court together much recently, and. And uh, Johnny Dawkins opened his post-game press conference this afternoon talking about that, about the difficulties of of having to go so long without practice, you know, with really very little practice uh, and, and how that sort of influenced this game. And then also what it meant to not have Darius Perry in this game. And I thought I, I thought another good question was, how do you get better uh, when you can't practice, when you can win and then when you can be on the floor but you can't have the whole team around because some guys need to be held out. Um, so Johnny Dawkins addressed all of those issues in his post-game press conference. Uh, it definitely affected our rhythm. Uh, you know, it's, it's too choppy. You know, things are kind of broken up. But we haven't had very many practices. We practiced probably all of one and a half times before playing this game. And, uh, you know, but I give Temple a lot of credit. I thought Temple, they outplayed us. You know, uh, you know, it, it starts there. I thought they did a good job. They executed well. And they outplayed us. And, uh, but, no, we've only had about a practice and a half in the last probably 10 days or so. And, Coach, I imagine that you haven't had Darius Perry during that time either, and then you didn't have him today. What did missing him today, you know, what was the impact of missing him today on the offense? Well, it just hurts our our chemistry. I mean, you're trying to get, you know, guys in in position where they get a rhythm, getting into a flow, but, you know, it's been so disjointed with, uh, you know, postponements, not playing and then playing. So uh, that's been difficult. And so not having him hurt because just when you're getting him into a rhythm, then he's out again. So, uh, but you know what? There's nothing anybody can do. We understand it's a COVID year, and uh, we just have to keep fighting, you know, and, and, and try to keep working on the things that we're struggling with and, and get better. And, you know, it's still a long season ahead of us. Uh, Coach, I want to follow up on what you just said there. How can a team get better when you have the disruptions that you have and you don't have all of your players when you are able to practice? Well, hopefully, you know, I think I think we all are hopeful that, you know, we don't experience this again this season. You know, we've had this happen a few times now. So hopefully, uh, you know, we can go forward and we can have a stretch where like early in the season when we got started where we didn't have these things happening. So, you know, I think we overdue for a stretch like that at this point in time where we can go out there and compete and. And, and have some continuity where we know we go out there we're practicing every day and we're able to play within, you know, like two games a week, like like a lot of teams are playing. You know, we haven't had that ability. We played two games since December 26th. And uh, that's hard on anybody. It's hard. And it's really hard on our players. And so, uh, but like I said, there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's that type of year. And we just have to keep working through. So there's Johnny Dawkins after this loss to Temple. And, and Eric, I'll tell you, even beyond what you hear there, there was other nuggets in what, Johnny had to say that I thought were illuminating and sort of gave you a, a better picture of, of, of why this game unfolded like it has. You know, he mentioned how even when they practiced, and they practiced, I think, they, he called it, you know, the practice and a half in 10 days before this game. They had a light practice before they came up to Philly on Wednesday, and then earlier in the week they had a full practice, really their first one since the USF game. And he said uh, that – when they're even out there because there's guys that may not be able to be on the court or being contact traced, they're practicing in small groups. 
So they're practicing with maybe five or six guys at a time. And so you're not really running out there with your full team. And that's really hard to then do install and fix things that, you know, that you need to fix. And so even when they're practicing, it's not a full fledged practice. And, and those are few and far between, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, he talked about how uh, you know, Darius Perry not being here obviously it gives them more offense. It helps us set their offense better as well. We don't know when he'll, when he'll, when he'll be back, hopefully this weekend. Um, but, yeah, right now it just, it just feels like a team that's sort of working through, you know, working through the issues that it's been dogged with for a couple of weeks now. And hopefully, as Johnny Dawkins is hopeful, that they will have a sustained stretch of – games practices non-interruptions like they had early in the year um but right now they're really sort of working through this this choppy uh intermittent season and it's not easy for anybody no and it's just i mean it's tough i mean it's tough i mean it's uh it's it's a really bad draw because this is just a bad college basketball see it's a bad situation i mean you, i mean there are you could certainly make debates whether we should be having college basketball or any college sports going on right now in general. Uh, but putting that aside, you know, there's a lot of teams that are trying. I think I think I read where Villanova hasn't played since Christmas. And, and I mean, there, so UCF's not alone, so I understand that. There's other teams that have dealt with this. But it, it – I mean, it, I mean it, it's, all, it's all over the American. The American yeah. is being beset by postponed games every day. Temple's next game, after they beat UCF today – their next game, which was set for this weekend, has already been postponed. That was postponed like an hour after today's win. So uh, it doesn't – I mean, it's it's really league-wide at this point. I mean, you're really touching upon every team at this point has had some sort of stoppage. Yeah, and again, it's I, – I think that, honestly, if it was up to me, I think the season would be on pause. But, uh, as you know, as they say, there's a March Madness tournament and people want to get their money, so that's what's going to happen here. I, nobody's going to stop there. You know. And that's why, but to, to me, Murph, uh, this might sound as it, and, and Coach Dawkins is not going to say this, and he has said this, that there's not a, no excuses. So, uh, But for me, yeah. I think the season's got an asterisk on it. I can't judge this team this season. How do I, I – I don't think you can make any huge conclusions. I think this is almost, to this point, I'm kind of evaluating this team – more for next year and kind of the development at this point, unless things drastically change what, you know, I just, it's, there's no guarantees how many games this team's going to get played. There's no, you know, there, you don't know if this team's going to be in full tact on a game by game basis. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just is what we are. We are in, in this. So I, I can't evaluate this team as a whole this year. I'm more, more maybe interested in evaluating this team and how they'll look for next year with guys like Isaiah, which I liked, I, you know, and continue to develop. Am I, is it too soon for that? Is it too irrational? I'm being irrational here. What what do, what do you make of it? Because I don't know what else to say. No, I think that's prudent because what are we what are we watching right now? It'd be different if this team was going through injuries but still pre- playing and practicing on schedule. And certainly they've had you know guys guys like Darius Perry was hurt before the season. Tony Johnson hurt in a freak in a freak manner at halftime of the first game. He's out for a long time. C.J. Walker had a slow ramp up to the season because of a, a knee surgery before the year. So they were they – were, you can talk about injuries impacting this team, but now you're talking about just playing the game. They, they haven't been able to practice or play, uh, you know, in really all but 10 days. I and, mean, again, before, before today's game, right, the last game they played was 10 days earlier against USF, and they'd only had one really full 
100% strength practice in those 10 days. I don't understand. And so you're right. You can't really judge a team on the floor when you have that little preparation, that little continuity um, going on. And, and then also because you're probably going to end up missing guys in games because of, of COVID as well. So that's not just an injury, but that's you're, you're, you're now you're now losing players in real games because of the pandemic that's going on. And Johnny Dawkins brought it up after the game, saying that because cases in Florida are, are you know, are high. It's even it's even more of a, a diffi- difficulty to sort of maneuver through the season because of where you know where we are where you are in we're in Florida we're in Orlando so um, with cases being up that gives you the more the higher likelihood of of you know falling prey to something like this and so yeah it's all very messy it's all very ugly much like the football season was and I hope that UCF fans didn't like fall under a false sense of security because the football season. Once it started, kind of went off with a like without a hitch, and they played a bowl game and everything. Like uh, as I said last week, basketball is an indoor sport with small rosters, and and cases are exploding across the country in terms of COVID. Uh, these this these stoppages were you know basically like they were they were they were already written. You knew they were coming, and so now you're seeing the impact of that on games and teams to where I don't know what I'm looking at. I really don't, and I don't I, I don't know what this team will look like, you know, a week from now if they get a full week of practice in. I do think football fooled a lot of people, and I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about people within the sports world, right? Like, I think in the in the college level, oh, hey, you know, things went okay in football, but football's a once-a-week sport. So a lot of times we heard about, well, maybe they didn't practice and things like basketball. It's a different story, and you described it. And it's not just a college basketball issue. The NBA is a mess, I can't. I mean, yeah. as I, I cover the NBA on the side, it is a a big mess. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's actually a bigger mess than even what baseball and the NFL have gone through, which is kind of blows my mind away. Uh, so it is what it is, and you know, people can say what they want about it, but it's reality. And I, I just I feel bad because there's I, there's promise with this team. We saw it. We saw it on the court earlier in the year against uh, Florida State. We saw it against Auburn. We've seen it, you know. But we even said, I remember, Murph, we even said it on the night shift shows, it wasn't like this team had a lot of room for air. If things broke right, this could be a good year. Unfortunately, we just described how everything has not broken right at all. It's broken raw. Yeah. And, and we try to temper expectations on that show, too, about, like, we were going – obviously, if you go, if people want to go back and watch our night shift from the FSU win, like you and us were like giddy schoolgirls. We were going nuts <laughs> yeah. after that game. And yet we were also trying to temper like we also need to understand this is only one game. It's only one win. It's a long season. You don't know if this is really indicative because it was so early of what this team could actually be. And then obviously they played uh, – you know, they beat Cincinnati. They played, they played well against Houston at home. So you figured like – well, you know, maybe this team is as good as it looked. I and mean, even in a loss to Houston, it didn't embarrass themselves against the top 10 team. But now this is something you, you know, you, you don't, it's how do you, you know, coach, you don't get into college basketball coaching with the knowledge of, okay, so how do I get my team to recover from a global pandemic? Uh, that's something they teach you uh, when you start out. So uh, this is, a, this is a tough road for everybody. Uh, obviously, I mean, we're talking about sports, a tough road for everybody around the world. But since we're, we're we're limiting ourselves to UCF basketball, it's a tough road for them. But they're going to push through it. Uh, you know, Johnny Dawkins says he has not he has not heard from any players uh, expressing concern about their safety or their willingness to play uh, throughout the season. You know, he says those guys made a commitment to to 
to, to play here and they, they want to uphold that commitment. And it's just something they're going to have to deal with and they know they're going to have to deal with it and they're going to struggle with it. And we'll just see where it all ends up. And, and God, it's just a, it really is. It's a, it's an uncanny Valley of college basketball because it doesn't, nothing looks right. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, you mentioned the road. Well, the road's about to get tougher on the court because uh, they will now schedule to go to Houston on Sunday to take on 11th ranked Houston, who, by the way, is number two. And I know that we don't use the RPI anymore in basketball, but you realize Houston's like number two in the RPI behind Michigan, who's number one, which we both played. Uh, and they're <laughs> And they're both in the top ten in the net for for whatever that's worth. Um, in fact, Houston's number six in the net ranking. So, obviously, this is a rematch from the day after Christmas when they played at UCF. Uh, Houston won that game, uh, but there's been some changes there. Houston's ten and one. Their only loss was at Tulsa in the last second. A whistle went against them. Tulsa got to the line and made free throws to win that game. But this is a different. It'll be a little different of a Houston team that UCF will see on Sunday than they did the last time they played in Orlando. Yeah, no Caleb Mills, Eric. Uh, now we didn't know. You know, remember going into that going into that Houston game right after Christmas, Caleb Mills was coming off uh, of an injury and came in off the bench in that game and actually had a couple of huge buckets uh, for Houston late in that game that really propelled the Cougars to a win here in Orlando. But Caleb Mills, the AAC preseason Player of the Year, has left the Houston program and is already committed to going to Florida State. <laughs> um, it's, that's a lot nuts. of people have been going uh, to transferring to Florida State recently. I tell you what, Florida State, <laughs> if you want to transfer, apparently they'll give you a scholarship at Florida State because, because they are they are opening their doors to everybody, uh, which including others, which we'll we'll get into later. We'll talk about another guy that's going to Florida State in a different sport later in the program. But but so yeah, Houston obviously has changed since we saw them. You know, when you lose a player of that caliber, yeah, it makes a difference. Um, but it's still a it's still a dynamite team. They are the best team in this conference. Somehow, Wichita State now looks like the second best team in this conference, which I would no one would have predicted before the season starts. But that feels very appropriate for the season that we're having. Yeah, it's going to be a tough order there in Houston, right? Like it's going to be a difficult. I mean, we pulled the upset there a couple of years ago. It's going to be a tough task to beat them there uh, in that deal. But that's a two o'clock tip, ESPNU. Uh, I, the good news about the tip time there is that is before the the divisional playoff game. So I think the divisional playoff game doesn't start till three ish. So at least you got a little hoops there. By the way, ESPN use your place for UCF athletics on Sunday because prior to the UCF Houston men's game at two, the women will be are scheduled to host Cincinnati at noon Eastern on ESPNU. So you got a nice four hour block of UCF athletics on ESPNU on a Sunday there, Murph. People should start watching more what you said, women's basketball. I mean, I don't know if that's a segue. <laughs> it is a but... segue. That's why I did it that oh, way. Right. Thank you. Yes. Uh, the women's team beat East Carolina on the road uh, 58-51 on Wednesday. Uh, so they bounced back after a loss to Temple, 61-58. to So they've been stuck in that 58-point mark. They're 6-2 overall, 4-1 overall uh, in conference. They will host Cincinnati 
on Sunday, as I mentioned, at noon. Cincinnati has the preseason player of the year in Thomas, but not much be around there. A lot of the players from last year, uh, remember, Cincinnati was the team that knocked off UCF in the semis of the American Conference Tournament. A lot of the, the core graduate moved on and graduated, so it's really Thomas and a bunch of new faces. So it's kind of been a rebuild for Cincinnati, but they still have the best player in the league, but that's the storyline. For UCF, Murph, it's they got to keep winning. That Temple loss... You know, they've always struggled at Temple. It's not a good week for UCF against Temple, by the way. That's not no. – that's disappointing. But from the women's standpoint, that's a tough loss because South Florida, who, as uh, I learned last week on the episode, you you saw up close uh, and you were very impressed by them. They are ranked in the top 20. They are the favorites. And that hurt UCF from an RPI and a net standpoint, that Temple loss. So – and the American and women's basketball is kind of rated right now, depending on what you look at in the RPI or the net, they're seventh-ranked conference in women's basketball. In other words, it's not as strong as the men's side. The men's side, it's very interesting. The RPI ranks the American as the third-strongest conference, which is a little out there. Uh, the net has the American ranked as seventh. I think it's somewhere in between there. Uh, but – the women is kind of in that 7-8 rank. So there's not a lot of quality games in the league is what it tells you. So you can't afford to have too many bad losses because that could cost you in the postseason for the women there. Uh, you know, you broke it down. Their defense is good. The key for them is, you know, getting more consistent scoring. They had balanced scoring in the ECU games. But they can't afford to slip up here because it is clear. This is a – South Florida is the team to beat. And if you're UCF and the women's for Coach Aben company, they're going to have to beat them not only for the conference championship, Murph, but they're probably going to have to beat South Florida just to get that resume win to impress the committee here come the, the field when they get the field, the, the NCAA tournament. And that first meeting of that head-to-head uh, two-game series this year is, is less than a month away because the Bulls come to Orlando on February 7th, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, that's obviously a handful of games away, but – uh, that is what UCF is looking at or looking really toward as long as they can sort of hold serve in these other games. And uh, it's going to be another weird week. I think it's going to be a weird week for UCF women's basketball because they're after the Cincinnati game on Sunday, their scheduled game against SMU obviously is not like will not be played because SMU opted out of this season. You said SMU's women's basketball uh, program opted out very early on in this season, which would Eric now mark two UCF opponents who have opted out yep. already. Yeah, earlier on Thursday was announced Virginia, remember who UCF opened the season with, uh, has decided to opt out the season. They've had COVID issues. They finished the season 0-5. Uh, so mm-hmm. remember when we were excited about that? Wow, what a great win over the Virginia out of the ACC. Um, well, there's kind of a problem with that. Uh, it's not good. Uh, Virginia's net ranking right now is 232. Oof. The RPI is 230. And unfortunately, this is why math, you know, Jeff's a big math guy. Hey, let's use math to decide. This is where math kind of screws you because you schedule this game before the year. You're thinking, hey, this is a quality game, marquee opponent, you know. Now it's going to hurt them, actually, because even even in those wins, because the team was so bad from a a ranking standpoint, it hurts your schedule strength. It hurts all these things. And now Virginia's not going to improve on that. You know, you were hoping maybe if they played in the ACC to get some wins, that would automatically help their net rankings. That's not going to happen now. So, unfortunately, you know, that win in the LSU win that was, you know, and I still think it's a good win, but LSU's in the hundreds in the net rankings. And I know it's early. You could say, well, it's early. It's middle of January. But in a season like this, Murph, where there's no guarantees on how many games you're going to get in, plus 
uh, as there's been reports here by college basketball people, there's questions about the uh, conference tournaments going on because the NCAA, you know, people wonder, you know, the, those geniuses have announced kind of some of the protocols for the NCAA tournament, one of them being that you got to test uh, seven times and pass it to get to the tournament. So, and there's some speculation that, well, you can't play a conference tournament and then test seven times. Like, so there might be some teams or that decide to skip the conference tournament. So that way you kind of avoid any issues and get those seven tests out of the way. So it's, who knows what's going to happen uh, with all that in, in the men's side. The women's side, the issue there is it is not concrete that it's going to be a 64-team field. I've read Charlie Cream, who's the women's basketball uh, expert in, in ESPN and the bracketologist, they have it set up to where they hope it's a 64-team field, but they're also there's a chance it could drop to 48, which is a significant difference if you're on a bubble team. So a lot up in the air here. Uh, so that's why I'm kind of breaking down these numbers now because even though it's early, normally you would be like, oh, come on, it's too early. Every game kind of important from that standpoint because you don't know how many games you're going to end up getting in. Yeah, and I saw someone uh, tweet today that, for conference tournaments, I mean, imagine if you're like on a, a Thursday at a men's tournament, right? Yeah. And you have all four games being played or whatever. I mean, you're asking eight teams to be sharing, you know, well, you know, like eight teams to be sharing common spaces in the span right. of a day. It doesn't sound like something you really want to do right now. No. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this is a, this is not, it's, it's, it's a very, again, it's all very uncertain and nebulous and, but like you mentioned, Eric, with women's basketball, the way things have unfolded for them, it makes those USF games even more important. I mean, those are absolutely not only crucial wins for conference standings, but for postseason possibilities. Uh, those games have utmost importance now. And so they have to hold serve against these other teams. And must then try must to- hold serve. Like Cincinnati's three yeah. and seven on Sunday. You got to win that game. Uh, and, and then, then and, you, know. and you, have, you have very little margin for error elsewhere. Yep. Um, you know, and, and then, yeah, you have to win those USF games too. So, um, yeah, low, low margin for error. The women are six and two, four and one. They're scheduled to host Cincinnati noon on ESPNU. Then they won't play again till Saturday, January 23rd, when they're at Houston, ironically enough. So uh, we'll mm-hmm. see a lot of UCF versus Houston here in the next coming weeks, Murph. So, uh, <laughs> At least that's the schedule. That's what it tells us. All right. We'll take a break. It's it. scheduled for now. Let's for see now. what happens tomorrow. Yeah, you know, that's why I keep saying the word scheduled. So that way, because who knows? Um, so that way, you know, if something breaks after we re- this episode aired, then it's not our fault. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But we come back. We're going to talk some football. And our special guest, Matthew Wright, talks about what it was like to kick for the Steelers in the NFL as he also reflects back on his UCF time. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez alongside Brian Murphy. Jeff off this week. Uh, Well, we got a great honor here this week to uh, talk to Matthew Wright, Murph, who has had a pretty eventful uh, NFL season. Got to get up and play in the NFL kick for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. I know you've been following this all year with all the transactions in the NFL, but really a cool opportunity and, and, a, and a, a great moment and a great season, if you will, for Matthew Wright. Yeah, and a guy who just never really gave up on what he wanted, you know, the dream of playing in the NFL, even though, you know, he got, you know, cut by the Steelers and everything. He kept working at it, kept kicking, and, and then gets an opportunity with an 
injury to Chris Boswell. And, and then, you know, after all of that, he plays a few games. He's 11 for 11 on all kicks. And, um, yeah, it was really just amazing, amazing sort of few weeks there in, in the life of Matthew Wright. And we had a chance to talk to him earlier this week about that, about the how he got the opportunity to kick for Pittsburgh, what it was like to kick in an empty stadium, what could be next for him, and, of course, reflect back on his UCF career where he set numerous kicking records and, of course, part of the, the national championship team in 2017. Matthew Wright here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret, he's the all-time point scorer at UCF, field goals made, you name it. He's got a, just about almost every significant kicking record in UCF football history and really excited to see him this fall uh, recently with the Pittsburgh Steelers, ladies and gentlemen. Matty Ice kicker joining us here. Matthew Wright, how you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Happy to be here and uh, just excited that I'm still kicking footballs. Well, let's talk about that. Like we saw you kick for the Steelers, finally get that opportunity this season when you know, obviously with Boswell having some injury issues. So you got to kick in multiple games. What, what was that like for you to finally get that opportunity in the NFL that you've been chasing? Uh, yeah. So I was just at home working, uh, doing a, a full-time job at Lockheed Martin. And then because of COVID, they were just going to bring me in for that one short week they had. And then uh, it just so happened that Boswell came down with a little something right when I got there. So I just was kind of really, really lucky that it ended up working out how it did. But uh, getting those three games, uh, it's, it's really rejuvenating that all the hard work's paying off. But it was just an awesome experience. Yeah, because, Matt, we had seen the, the videos you posted on social media, of you kicking you know, field goals and stuff. But November 25th was your tryout date, right? Was that your tryout date on the 25th? And then you were signed to practice squad like a week later. Yeah, so – the, the day they report that I try out is actually when you arrive and then you have to quarantine for five days okay. before you're even allowed to work out. So uh, quarantine for five days, worked out, uh, was supposed to sign, but then the Ravens game got pushed back. I don't know if you guys followed that at all. Sure. So that whole ordeal happened and the game kept getting pushed back. So I wasn't even sure if I was going to get the sign because I was kind of signing for that game specifically. Um, and then, yeah, so I actually ended up quarantining another week waiting mm -hmm. until I was able to sign. So that's why there was that long wait in between when I said I was working out and when I actually signed. That is amazing. Uh, that's right, because the Ravens game got pushed back all the way to Wednesday. And mm -hmm. then as a result, the game against Washington uh, got pushed back as well. I mean, uh, what what's going through your mind as you're – I mean, you have to be patient. This is such a unique thing to everybody – like, what goes through your mind as you're going through this process? Do you just feel like, oh, man, is this other shoe going to drop on me? Because you're finally going to get this opportunity you weren't probably thinking you were going to get. Yeah, I mean, it was really tough, honestly, because uh, obviously nothing was up to me. So I was just sitting in the hotel room just waiting every day and just, just hoping that the next day I was going to get to officially sign that piece of paper. Um, but, but, yeah, it was a lot of waiting, a lot of uh, just anxious time. But uh, it all worked out, so I'm real happy about it. Can you take us through your thoughts and emotions leading up to that kickoff against Washington, uh, maybe the, the night before, knowing you'd be on the active roster and, and maybe stepping on that field and warm-ups, what that whole experience was like? Uh, yeah, um, stepping out there for warm-ups, I'm going to be honest, I did not have a, a good warm-up. Was, it was freezing cold out, and obviously I hadn't, I hadn't kicked with the, the team a ton because then I just quarantined for two weeks. So the reps that I'd gotten to take with the team – were very, very, very limited. So 
and the reps that I had taken myself in two weeks were very limited. So that warm up was actually very big for me, still just getting my feet back used to kicking the ball because kickers don't usually take two weeks off. So uh, the warm up was was not the prettiest, but uh, it got me ready for the game. And I just have confidence in myself going into games that when the time comes, I know I'm going to kick the ball through the uprights. And then you asked about the night before. It's really just the same. I try not to think about it too much. It's just uh, I go to bed real early. So I was honestly asleep by like 930. Wasn't even thinking about the game. I'm jealous. Well, <laughs> what's, what's, you, what's so unique, though, your this is your debut here. And it's such a unique setting because normally in an NFL game, you're thinking, hey, there's going to be, you know, packed towels, 70, 80,000, the towels. Uh, there's none of that here. So how is what is that like as a kicker to kick in a stadium where there's like no fans, basically? Yeah, so I actually I had a, a bunch of friends and family ask me that same question. And it's I'm still trying to decide whether it was easier or harder because I, I really don't know, um, like. Sometimes when you're doing something and it's completely silent, it makes it even worse to do. And then uh, you can hear every single player on the other team. So obviously they don't want me to make the kick. So all I'm hearing is the other team and complete silence. So I don't know whether it was helpful or hurtful, but uh, I mean, it all worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, stepping back just a bit. From the moment you were released after the 2019 preseason, in which you acquitted yourself very well, and obviously you kept at it, um, did you – at any point, talk like feel like uh, that you would not have this opportunity. Do you ever have that waiver uh, of of confidence, or maybe that you know I worked so hard at this, but maybe this maybe this wasn't meant to happen? Did you ever have that moment or moments uh, in the in the year and a half from the moment you got cut from Pittsburgh? Yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's easy to say no. I always had faith in myself, but uh, what it was like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, year and a half. It was a long time. So it, those thoughts definitely crept in my head, but. I mean, I had a good sports system and everybody kind of believed in me and my agent believed in me. And so it was just uh, knowing that if I continued at it, hopefully I'd get something, but also being willing to accept that maybe something wasn't going to happen and just knowing that I'm giving it my all and it was kind of more for me. So uh, just having that intrinsic, intrinsic motivation and the people around me pushing me just kept me going. You have the successful debut against Washington. What was it like making that first kick? Was that like the most pressure kick in a way? Because this is it. This is, oh my goodness, this is the NFL. And I'm assuming you don't know what's going to happen beyond this week. Maybe you're back next week, but you just don't know. What Take me through that mindset as you make that, you know, your first kick in the stadium there. Uh, and it was like, did that, was that like getting the butterflies out? What was it like? Yeah, really, really it was just the first one. And then it kind of all went away. Um, yeah, the, the, the first kick's always the toughest, and I tried not to think about the fact that it was my first NFL kick, but I can say I tried, but I, I obviously wasn't. Like, that was creeping in my head, and uh, once that one went through, it kind of eased, the, eased the, the tension a little bit. And also, uh, Boswell was super, super helpful with everything. He's been such a, a great help, so he was on the sideline kind of talking me through everything and making sure that I was ready for everything. Yeah, and then you obviously, you know, are back in the practice squad for the next couple of weeks, but you then you get called up again for week 16 and 17. Uh, and did the, you know, what, did, I guess, I don't know if it's worked, I don't know if you worked on anything, but uh, now that you were really part of the team starting in week 13, did it feel any different or week 16, 17 feel any different at all? Or is it just like now you really felt like, yeah, I'm part of this team now? I think the biggest thing was just getting, uh, getting reps. Cause before the first game, I only took like uh, six, maybe seven field goals with the team before I ran out on the field, which is obviously not as many as I would have liked, but uh, it's just how practice goes and you get what you get. 
So uh, by the time like week 16, 17 rolled around, I was a lot more comfortable with the snap hold. I felt a lot better, um, but more of the same, just focusing on each and every kick, treating every kick the same. Yeah, Brian mentioned you've been with the Steelers, obviously, before. Obviously, you signed with them coming out of UCF. So you were familiar. You're familiar with Coach Tomlin. You're familiar, familiar with the roster. You're familiar with Boswell. Did that help you through this as opposed to where if you were on another team and you were learning everybody on the fly? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, special teams coordinator Danny Smith's a great guy, and he was really helpful too. But uh, just having kicked with the snapper and holder before as well is something that a lot, not a lot of people know about, but you have to have trust in every snap and hold before you're going to kick the ball. So like being, being able to get back into a rhythm with them quicker than I think it would have been with someone new was, was obviously very helpful, but yeah, coming into a, a place where I've been before kind of settles your nerves a little bit instead of trying to get used to the place first and then going about the kicking. I just was straight to worrying about the kicking. Did you know, the fact that you I, – I, I don't know if I ever asked you if you grew up as a Steelers fan growing up in PA and if that influenced your decision at all to sign with them and then also now that you've played for them, like what kind of feedback you get from your family about that? So I was actually closer to Philadelphia. So I was an Eagles fan growing up. But my, my neighborhood's pretty split between uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia fans. Um, but no, that didn't influence. That was just where I thought that was the best opportunity to kick. What's next for you now? Obviously, the season came. I know it's disappointing to come up uh, in the opening round of the playoffs, but what's next for you? Because I got to think, you know, and we've been talking on the podcast, Jeff Sharon, who's not with us. He's been clamoring for you to get an opportunity and, and tweeting at the NFL teams, give Matt, give Matty Ice a chance. Now you've got tape that you've kicked in the NFL and you were successful. I mean, I'll never forget the Colts game. Jim Nance was like pumping you up uh, and, and, and things like that. <laughs> In fact, he had the one-liner. I think he mentioned something about your degree in engineering so that you can kick the ball out of the world or something like that. <laughs> you know, it was just entertaining. But people now have seen you and all the NFL teams. What's next for you? And I got to think that will help you either with the Steelers or whoever get opportunities here moving forward. Yeah, uh, just working with my agent, finding what's best, and uh, have a decision here shortly, hopefully. Well, so now that the season's over, are you technically a free agent? Like I've seen guys, I've seen players with teams who are no longer playing sign with other teams now. Uh, is that like even an option for you? Uh, I, I've, I'm trying to stay out of that. Hopefully my agent knows what's going on. <laughs> See, that's smart. That's smart. Let the agent figure all that stuff out. Like it's too many things to worry about, right? Like just, just let me know. Just give me a call. Let me know what I got to do, right? Exactly. I'll just kick the ball. But still, this has been – what was it like? What did it mean to you? What did it mean to the family? I mean, here you are. You're kicking in front of the national audience. Um, and I know you're not thinking about that because you're focused on what you're focused. But I'm sure you got feedback after the games, text messages, like, man, that was awesome. Yeah, I'll be so proud. I mean, what is that like to live that dream? Whatever happens, you could say you kicked in the NFL. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of surreal. It took me a couple of days just to kind of sit back on that and think about it. But – Obviously, it's it's something I've been thinking about for such a long time, and for it to actually happen was fantastic. Uh, my phone was absolutely blown up after the game. Just, it's really nice to see everyone still support me and and uh, there for me, and kind of following along with what I'm doing. So it's it was just awesome just to have it all come together. You've commented in the past that people have questions about your leg strength, and you've put up videos to show that I can you know those are not concerns. And I then there was a funny uh, back and forth you had a little bit with Matt Caboli for the for Mark Caboli for the athletic saying that you didn't 
hit that far in pregame. And then he said, I hit 53 in pregame. Uh, where do you feel like your leg strength is at this point? And how satisfied are you with the progress maybe you've made in the last year and a half in that aspect? Yeah, uh, I think I've definitely gotten a lot stronger. Um, I We did a lot of directional kicks in Pittsburgh, which is something that you don't aren't aware of, you don't know. So most of my kicks were directional, not kick it as far as you can. So, um, but still those directional kicks could have been higher and longer, but uh, I'm, I'm continuing to work every day. I was just at the gym before this actually doing, doing some leg stuff. So still working on it, but uh, just going to keep getting better and better. So uh, if I could butt in, so, cause people were like, well, he only had one touchback out of 16 kickoffs. Like that's by design. Then you're saying is like, that's by like you, are you trying to get guys to return? So it's not completely by design, but on directional kicks, your number one priority is, is where the ball lands mm-hmm. in terms of width on the field, not how deep it goes or things like that. So, I, I mean, they, they wouldn't be mad if the ball went further, but it's just I'm not the strongest leg. So, Did you have a kicker that you looked, you kind of modeled your kick style under, or did you reach out to kickers to kind of, you know, get some advice as you're going through this after you left UCF or even like as you were starting to become a kicker and got to UCF, did you have kickers you kind of looked up to? Um, I've had this question a couple of times and honestly, not really. I didn't start kicking until about my sophomore year of high school, uh, end of freshman start of sophomore year of high school. So, uh, kind of just learned from YouTube videos was the biggest thing. Not, not anyone in specific, but, uh, uh, in terms of helping just uh, other kickers that I've worked with and around the area with my kicking coach, um, those were the main people. Has, it, has this been just sort of a whirlwind for you? I mean, even like not, not, not even a year ago, but three months ago, someone said like, by the way, three months from now, you'll have played three games to the Steelers and, and, and been perfect on all your 11 kicks. Like, is it kind of boggled the mind? A hundred percent. I, I was just talking to my family about that is I never, I mean, as much as I thought I belonged and I deserved to get a shot to kick somewhere, I never thought that I was going to get the opportunity to kick it three games. Uh, it's just something that I'm very blessed and really excited about. And uh, yeah, excited to see what the future holds. Yeah, you're right. We look forward to the future. Let's talk about the past a little bit. Have you had time to reflect on your run at UCF and how maybe UCF has helped you get to where you're at right now? Oh, without a doubt. I don't, I don't think if we win, if we don't win 25 games in a row, I don't think I go to Pittsburgh in the first place. So UCF has done more for me than I can even, even say. And then obviously getting a degree from UCF is a great place to get a degree from. So I've had a full-time job as well. So thankful for UCF for that as well. Um, the run that we had, I mean, you can just watch the team this last year. They, they obviously have a ton of talent, but you can just tell it's, it's hard to win every game. So uh, just, just thinking about how special it was that we got to win every game and the run that we went on is uh, just kind of surreal. There was a lot of conversation this year with the kicking game this year with Daniel Lebarski going 12 for 17 and he missed a few extra points and people, you know, kick no kickers get no leeway. You have to do your job all the time. You must be perfect. Otherwise you're awful. It's amazing how that works. But in 2016, you put basically the same stat line as Daniel did this last year. I think in 2016, you were 12 for 17, you missed a couple extra points. What would you say to Daniel? I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any sign that UCF was moving on from him. So him coming back as the kicker again. What would you say to Daniel after this season? Uh, just to relax and try not to listen to other people. Obviously, it's it's kind of impossible when everything's coming at you with social media world that uh, you're gonna you're gonna see some things. But 
just relax, take it easy. It's a game. And uh, if someone cares that much to tweet about you missing a kick, just, just remember that you're there for a reason and you're on scholarship to kick a football. Well, was there a moment at UCF where everything just kind of clicked for you? Because after a while, you know, you, people kind of took you for granted. It's like, oh, he's automatic. You know what I mean? Like, because, uh, and Brian mentioned your first, you know, 2016 season. Was there a moment, a kick, a game that, or maybe even a practice or you just, everything just started clicking for you uh, and your, and your kicking style? Um. I don't know if I'd say a specific moment. I, f- I felt pretty good throughout the, the year that you mentioned. The reason my stat line looked bad and it hurts to even talk about now is I hit the upright twice in one game against Cincinnati or else I would have had a 15 for 17 year. But um, uh, just, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it all is just getting more and more repetitions with your snapper and holder and getting comfortable with the team. Cause obviously when you first come in, like Obarski's young, you might not have a great relationship with some of the older guys on the team, but as he, as he grows and grows, he'll kind of be the uh, veteran on the roster and he'll have more confidence and, and be able to hopefully relax more if that's the issue or whatever it may be. Going away from football just a bit. How is the job at Lockheed Martin doing? Uh, obviously football crews are always short and you always have to have, you know, a, a backup plan. Your backup plan is pretty fancy. People, it's pretty special. People, obviously Jim Nance talked about it. How's the, how's the gig going outside of kicking? I don't like to call it a backup plan. I never, it's not, it's not backup. I make sure that they know that they're, yeah. they're, they're equal. <laughs> um, but uh, it's good. Um, I just got back into Orlando. So heading into the office tomorrow, but uh, yeah, it's good. Can't complain. What, what, there. what are you, what, what are the aspects of the job? What do you, what are you focused on? What are you doing? Uh, I'm a systems engineer. So it's just coding. Um, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but just sitting in, a, in front of a computer all day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That is impressive. Like that's not like, and you know, UCF's known for the engineering and all the different things that it has to offer. What was that like as a student? You're, you're balancing playing on the football team, but also academics. Take me through that process. Cause that is not an easy accomplishment. What you went through is from an academic standpoint, forget the football field, but if an academic, so you're doing both. Uh, yeah, UCF has a great support system. That's what I always like to point out is uh, we have so many people there to, to support you in athletics and in academics. So I never felt like I was on an island. Like if something was getting tough, I always knew I had someone to turn to to, to help me out. Uh, like if my schedule felt busy, if I didn't think I could get something done, there's always help somewhere. And, and UCF was very supportive just with everything. So uh, a lot of a lot of busy days and long nights, but it was all worth it because of, of what you've accomplished here in the last few months and, and a lot of work goes into that over the months prior, but because of what you've accomplished on the field with people watching you, uh, can you almost say for certain, although you don't want to take anything for granted, can you say for certain like Matthew Wright will be kicking for an NFL team next year? I'll just see what my agent says. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, I, I want him to bite on it so badly. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite kick? that you have in your career could be UCF or even if you want to, but especially UCF. Cause for me, every time I see you, I keep thinking the Memphis game and at halftime where it, the streak <laughs> looks like it's going to come to win. And I've always given you credit for this because I think it's an underrated moment. You know, Memphis had their in the first half really outplayed us. Right. And it didn't look good. It looked like the streak could come in the weather, Brian, you were there, yeah. uh, right. The weather kind of, you knew the weather wasn't going to be great the whole game. 
And I remember you get that kick, and that's a huge kick here, and it's not a cheapy either. I think it was a lengthy kick. Uh, it's 44. 44 yeah. in Memphis. It's slick. And you kicked the field goal. And I thought that helped change the momentum. It got UCF within 13. I think that's one of the more memorable kicks that I remember of your career. Do you have something something like that? I don't know if it's that one or any other kicks. Because I, I thought that really helped come back and win the game and continue the streak. I don't know if you remember. The first one, the wind took and hit the yes. upright. Okay. Yeah, so thankfully their, their coach gave me a second one. Um, yeah, he called timeout. Mike Norvell called the timeout. Uh, yeah. or, right. And gave you the second yeah. chance. And that was, I, I, that's right. Yeah. The wind was blowing pretty good to the right. I got to, got to adjust. Um, other memorable kicks. I mean, my most memorable one probably isn't a good one. It was the, the very first one. I don't know if you guys remember that. Which one was that? Was that the, uh, oh, Owen, Owen. Oh, Owen the, oh, see, we, we try to block out that year. I, you know, <laughs> I, I try to block out the O for season, the FIU game. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, yeah, I was there. I remember that. Yeah. I, we, we're, we're not thinking back. Those. I mean, that set me up though. It was a, <laughs> that's definitely the most memorable. It set me up. Uh, I got to experience the low, the low as a kicker and uh, could only go up from there. So I think I credit that to helping me a lot actually, because uh, kind of, put me down at the bottom and maybe build myself back up and uh, work back from it. I'm trying to think of other memorable, positive, memorable kicks. Well, you got to kick. I mean, you know, it's funny you bring this up because you had the winless season in 15, but you had the undefeated season in 17. You got, got to witness both. You got to kick in the Peach Bowl. You got to kick in the Memphis title games, which is kind of a pressure cooker. People don't think of it, but when there's those that constant so many points scored – Every extra point is magnified, especially when they got to that overtime. I would imagine, even though, again, it's not like the most highly profile kicks, those are still critical mm -hmm. kicks because, you know, I always bring up Matt Prater, who's had a great career, but UCF fans always remember the Hawaii Bowl miss kick because that was the end of the Hawaii Bowl. You know, so there's that pressure that people don't realize, oh, it's just an extra point, but there's pressure, especially in an overtime game like it was with that Memphis game, right? And even South Florida the, one, the week before. Yeah, definitely. Uh that's interesting you bring that up. Those those kicks were definitely just as nerve-wracking as other ones, even though they're only 20-yard kicks. Uh, anything goes wrong with the snap hold, anything goes wrong with your footing, you could uh, you could miss. And obviously when you're in overtime, missing an extra point up by seven instead of six is, is a pretty big deal. But, yeah, uh, I, can't, I can't think of any super memorable kick. I'm still trying to think about that over here. <laughs> That's what happens when we score too many touchdowns, right? Like it's kind of hard yeah, to I, I, that, you know. I didn't kick very many field goals. I just kicked extra points. Yeah, I mean that's not the worst thing in the world, though, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, um, I don't know. Just I guess generally reflect on your on. You have a legacy as UCF's best, most accurate kicker in college. I just, in general, kind of an open-ended question of how do you feel about your legacy as that. Uh, it's just awesome. Um, honestly, going from the 0 and 12 and seeing our, our fan base grow and kind of come together more and more as, as we turned into the 25 and 0 streak, it was awesome. Uh, getting the support of the, of the fans and just uh, still to this day, whenever I, when I tweeted, for instance, you brought up earlier, when I tweeted at uh, the Pittsburgh writer, yeah. there was a whole horde of UCF fans coming to my defense. <laughs> so it's just, it's awesome to see the, uh, the, the fan base and they all support me. So that kind of, kind of helps keep me going too. It's, it's, it's just really nice. The UCF Twitter mafia is a, is a real thing. It, you know, 
Oh yeah. It's, it's growing every day too. <laughs> it is growing every day. What do you remember about college game day coming to UCF? Cause I mentioned that Memphis win. without that Memphis win, we don't get to host game day. What was that like mm-hmm. from a, from, from your standpoint that week on campus, the buzz with ESPN college game, they come into UCF for the first time. And then obviously the, the electricity, I know Brian has mentioned this, maybe the most electric atmosphere at the bounce house ever, Brian, right? Like, I mean, that, I mean, that night game with Cincinnati, ABC, uh, what was it like for you kind of seeing that from a student perspective, but also obviously as part of the team to help make that happen? Yeah. I kind of remember the Friday before the game, me and a bunch of the specialists took a little, uh, one of those little gator carts around and we were driving through the little setup over there. So it was really cool to look at and, and see the excitement. Uh, and then obviously waking up the morning of the game, getting to watch game day and knowing that it was right outside was, was crazy. Um, the game, obviously it started. It's everyone likes to say it started with, we got those penalties on Cincinnati. So everyone forgets about the touchback to start the game. <laughs> uh, all, the, all this kicker slander <laughs> yeah i remember the touchback that set the tone right there but i mean did you have actually i mean I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious i mean we mentioned earlier about kicking in an empty stadium you see that electricity in games like that the usf game had a great ele- buzz mm-hmm. does that give you an extra umph as a kick in all seriousness like does that do you almost have to like does that give you an extra you know few yards if you will like could you kick it five does that adrenaline rub off uh rub off on you yeah honestly as a as a kicker i try to keep the adrenaline to a minimum i try to stay as uh even keel as possible but it's not bad to have if, if we got opening kickoff and your only job is to kick the ball as hard as you can so i mean after the opening kickoff i tried to go to the sideline and kind of settle down because when you're kicking field goals you don't want to be too amped up want to be relaxed but uh the atmosphere was insane and it, it helps on kickoffs to be amped up were there any moments in college where you had trouble controlling your nerves during a game at all in a big kick situation? I mean, the very first one was the only one I could think of being nervous. Uh, after the, the first kick, the next kick was pretty nerve wracking too. But after that, it was smooth, not smooth sailing, but I like think I stayed calm for everything. And um, I was just talking to someone the other day. It's, I, I honestly try to stay as out of the game as possible. I kind of, I'm going to stay to myself, just, just hang out, try to keep a level keel and know that my job is just to kick the ball every once in a while. I don't need to get too amped up if we score touchdowns. You mentioned earlier about, hey, seeing this season, with the, 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 the tough season the guys had with us, the losses, and kind of think back to that 25-game win streak and appreciate Do you feel like you appreciate it more now that, you know, seeing that it's not so simple to just win every game? I don't know. I'm not saying that you guys took it for granted, but – just reflecting on that win streak and the national headlines. And, you know, that might not happen again with anybody. That's not easy to do. A lot of teams can't pull that off. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we, we kind of – UCF as a culture kind of got used to just, oh, we're playing this weekend. That means we're going to win. And, uh, I mean, that's not college football. <laughs> Unless you're like Alabama, you're not going to continuously just – win 11 awesome to think about that 25 and 0 and uh hopefully the boys can get it back next year but support them no matter what i hope that's something that people hear and understand that going six and three or nine and three or whatever is not a failure like it just because those seasons that you guys had are so rare that people need to also have this frame of mind that when you lose a couple games doesn't mean like must burn now 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, I watched us lose 12 games in a row. <laughs> just think, I mean, three's not bad. And, and it's not like we're losing, other than the last the last one wasn't very good to watch, but it's not like we're, we're losing bad games. We're, we were in every game, and uh, they looked good. So there's obviously positives, and there's things to grow from, but you can't expect to win every game. No, but uh, it was a great legacy, and you're a big part of that. And, uh, man, we're just excited for you. We're excited to see you kick this year with the Steelers. We're excited to see what the future holds for you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Like, you know, you got a lot of people rooting you on. It's a great story, and uh, I'm just glad you got this opportunity this year and hope for more opportunities for you, man. But like, in the meantime, just thanks so much for joining us. Any last words for Night Nation? I just go Knights charge on. <laughs> well said well said uh matthew wright joining us here on the black and gold banneret matt thank you so much thank you guys and thanks again to maddie ice for joining us here on the black and gold banneret podcast make by the way you could watch the video on our black and gold and on our youtube page make sure you subscribe to our youtube page uh, Black and Gold Banneret, because we have a lot of content there as well. We've had night shift shows and uh, interviews we've been, we'll be posting there as well moving forward, including this interview with Matthew Wright, and one that we'll kind of tease a little bit about later in the program. But uh, Murph, what's your thoughts here now? I know you tried to press him on what his future would look like. He wouldn't budge. I take that as a positive, you know, right? Because if, you, you know, if, if something good's coming, you know, you're going to be reluctant to kind of give it away because you don't want to ruin it, right? Right, and I, I, I commend Matthew Wright for not taking the bait. Um, but I have to imagine that he feels, you know, very optimistic about his football future now with the way he showcased himself in those few games with Pittsburgh, you know, making all 11 kicks, 4-for-4 four four on field goals. He had a couple of, of ones that had decent yardage behind him at 46. Um, so, you know, I have to imagine he feels pretty good about someone giving him a shot somewhere uh, wherever that might be on a practice squad, even like, yeah, he's got, I don't think, I don't think we've heard the last of Matthew Wright. Um, and then, Hey, if we have, he'll just go back to Lockheed Martin and continue to be a, continue to be a coder uh, in, 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 in systems engineering. I mean, it's, you know, it's always what he's wanted to do as well. So it's, it's either way, he's got some pretty good options. Yeah, he does. And I, I really do. I hope, and I, exp- I hope, and I think I will, we will, we'll see him in the NFL next season. Uh, whether it be with the Steelers or somebody else, who knows? But uh, man, that's a big positive just to get tape on and and do so well like he did in the limited opportunities that he did get here stepping in on the Steelers. That was pretty cool. Uh, kind of a bummer that uh, he's not kicking in the playoffs, but uh, I think overall, big, big, big success for Matthew Wright uh, this yeah. season and and for his future. I hope in here in the NFL. Uh, there are UCF guys that are playing in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Uh, let's kind of go in chronological order of the NFL schedule. Uh, the Rams are playing the Green Bay Packers. Two angles from a UCF perspective on this. Number one, news out of Los Angeles this week, uh, to, uh, Thursday, Murph, that affects one Blake Bortles. <laughs> Blake is back, baby. The boat, as it were, uh... Why wasn't he active last week? I don't know, but he'll be active this week for the Rams. Uh, Sean McVay, head coach, has ruled out John Wolford, who started last week in place of uh, Jared Goff against the Seahawks. And then Wolford had to leave early, actually went to the hospital with a neck injury. So Goff will start this week. Bortles will be active as the second string backup. 
you know, it just kind of amazes me that they that he was not active as a third string quarterback last week. But regardless, he will be dressed and ready to be pressed in action if anything were to, ha- were to happen to Jared Goff and his swollen right thumb. Yeah, swollen <laughs> right thumb. So I mean, Blake Bortles could possibly play if something were to happen to Goff with the thumb or anything in general would not be a complete shock on there. Of course, the Rams knocked off Seattle last week, which means no Griffin brothers this weekend. And now the question, Murph, what is their future in Seattle? Yeah, well, after that loss to the Rams, Shaquille Griffin said that he you know, obviously wants to come back uh, to the Seahawks. He's a free agent this year, was a pro bowler in 2019, did not have as good of a year in 2020. We'll see what Seattle does there. They they are they have some cap space I believe as of right now according to over the cap Seattle has about seventeen million dollars in cap space they could certainly use more corners uh, we'll we'll see if, if Shaquille can re up there and then with Shaquille I imagine he's you know probably just stashed back on the practice squad uh, and after the season uh, you know he could be free to sign with anybody but uh, we'll see what happens with either of those guys their futures are kind of unknown at this point especially Shaquille. The Saturday night game is Baltimore at Buffalo, and there is not a UCF football player more on fire and more growing in popularity than Gabe Davis. Uh, Ian Eagle gave him the nickname, what, Mr. Perimeter? Uh, With his catches (laughs) down the sidelines. Um, And there's a lot of Gabriel Davis bandwagon jumping right now. Now, I'm not talking about UCF fans. UCF fans have been following, but I'm talking about like NFL fans, uh, people in the know, fantasy people, everywhere. Like the Gabe Davis is... People just have gotten hooked on him, and he's played well. He had a great game against the Colts in the win. Well, he was really one of the stars of the first half of that game for the Bills uh, with three tremendous sideline catches. Uh, really fancy footwork shown by Gabe Davis. Uh, and, you know, was a little quiet in the second half, uh, but but still uh, ended up with four catches for 85 yards. Um, but you know, when that, when that offense was struggling early, Gabe Davis was kind of bailing it out. Um, and, and so it, it's amazing. Really. I say it every week now, but really is amazing what kind of rookie season he's having, uh, so much better than I thought that he would be this year. Um, but that can be said about the entire bills offense. And he's just sort of, um, you know, there as well. Could be a, really the key in this game against that Baltimore defense. Uh, that's going to be a challenge there. And, you know, the thing that helps them is obviously a lot of the defenses are focused on Stephon Diggs and things, but Gabe may have to do those some plays here for them to get past Baltimore uh, and go deeper in the postseason. Right, and, you know, I think that Marcus Peters was kind of banged up, the star corner for Baltimore. Marcus Peters has been kind of banged up, so we'll see what uh, if he's available in this game, but obviously there's Marlon Humphrey as well. Um, so this is definitely not an easy matchup for receivers. Um, but I think this is Eric. This has got to be the this is the spotlight game of the weekend. Like Ravens Bills, uh, this is going to be a fantastic game with two fantastic quarterbacks. And it just so happens that we do have a UCF player involved, and he's heavily involved recently. So um, should be fun all around. Uh, some people might argue there's a game on a Sunday night, the uh, late Sunday, that people are going to be a little interested in, which we'll get into. But Sunday, Cleveland Browns, who knocked off, unfortunately, Matthew Wright and the Steelers. Uh, in the Sunday wild card game. They will go to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. The UCF connection here, Charlie Hewlett, who's probably the most unknown UCF guy because he's too good at his job. He's a long snapper. And the only time you hear about the long snapper 
is when they screw up the snap. And fortunately for him, he hasn't screwed anything up in snapping in a while. But unfortunately, nobody talks about him because of it. It's a unique perspective. <laughs> but, I mean, here we are. Charlie Hewlett, part is still you, the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. I believe coming into this year, uh, I think Charlie Hewlett was on the biggest contract for a current long snapper. Wow. He had a six-year – he was on. I, I think I wrote this in the preseason. Like he was on either the most expensive, either in total or in terms of annual average value. He was either like he's either the most highest paid or or among the most highest paid long snappers in football. Um, but he's been very good. He's on a six year deal, and, uh, and you know he's been good because you don't hear his name like you said. So can we claim him as the best long snapper in the NFL? I mean, I guess I'm sure like. Pro Football Focus like has metrics on that, but I'm too lazy to look them up right now. So let's just go ahead and anoint <laughs> Charlie Hewlett. Well, our, we have our our, our, <laughs> our I mean, we have our colleague Andrew Glukoff on our staff. He's a diehard Browns fan, and he, he hasn't complained about him. So I'm going to take his word for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, go for. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully we didn't jinx him. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, there's a snap. He does a pouncey. Uh, the marquee matchup, some would argue. So you said Ravens, Bills. I think a lot of people's eyes will be in New Orleans. Saints, Bucks, Brady, Breeze, three. But there's a UCF connection that could be a factor in this game with the Saints. One being Latavius Murray and the possible return of Traquan Smith. Yeah, not certain yet, but Traquan, who has been on injured reserve for the requisite three weeks, uh, he was out with the uh, ankle injury, and I believe he had to go with some sort of un- uh, minor surgery. He is back. He was able to practice on Wednesday. He has been designated to return. Doesn't mean he will return this Sunday, but he looks like he's trending toward eligible. So, yes, there's a there's at least a, I would say, a 50-50 chance right now. I haven't seen the Saints Thursday practice report. I would say it's fifty-fifty that Trey Gowan Smith will be back for the Saints against the Bucks. Well, we'll see how that goes. That's a Sunday late kick there, and uh, we'll see. That's the comings and goings with UCF in the NFL coming up. The comings and goings within UCF football. Murph will break it down. Is it time to jump off a cliff, or is it, <laughs> or is it time to jump back on the bandwagon? We'll explain that. And much more as you're listening to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy here with you. Now, before we get into the UCF football news of the week, some late news as we recording this episode on Thursday afternoon, Murph. On we talked about that Saints Bucks game in the previous segment. Some questions about Latavius Murray, as it turns out, might be the bigger question than Traquan Smith. Yeah, we kind of glossed over Latavius because we were so worried about Traquan's health. I forgot to mention that Latavius Murray hasn't practiced this week yet as of Thursday. He missed Wednesday and Thursday practices uh, due to a quad injury. So uh, something to watch there. Uh, you know, we're so concerned about Traquan. Maybe we should be a little more concerned about Latavius. Right. Well, that's a bigger factor, too, because they like to use him as a change of pace back a little bit with Kamara. Um and kind of between the tackles, it's been kind of a rough stretch for Latavius. Remember, he was kind of part of that whole COVID protocol, uh, right? Contact tracing when Kamara had to miss week 17 and Murray had to miss week 17 because of the uh, tracing. Uh, so now he's got right. the quad injury here. Yeah, but, you know, he looked good against the Bears, had one of the better plays of the game with yeah. that sort of 
bailing out bailing out screenplay for a touchdown uh, on Nickelodeon, which was fantastic. Uh, so he, he's obviously a, he's still a very um, significant part of this offense. So uh, yeah, no Latavius on Wednesday and Thursday uh, with a quad injury. So that, that definitely bears watching. So yeah, we'll definitely monitor. We'll probably and you'll probably get a really a good feel for it on Fridays. The NFL teams have their big kind of big practice, you know, questionable, doubtful that big sheet yeah. where they say, "Hey, this guy." So you'll probably get a good feel for where everybody stands at that point. So uh, we'll go with that. All right, let's get into the comings and goings that is UCF football. And if you go to blackandgobanneret.com, we currently have a tracker that kind of has kept track with guys that have departed. Uh, either through the NFL free agents uh, going to the NFL draft, declaring or transferring, and then guys coming in. And we'll start with the guys coming in because a lot of people over the last week have been kind of freaking out over the message boards and the and, and social media about all guys leaving for various reasons, what's going on with the program. But then big jubilation, Murph, on Wednesday. We got a guy coming in, Brandon Johnson, the Georgia Tech wide receiver who got into the transfer portal, is coming to UCF. Well, you said Georgia Tech. I think you meant Tennessee. Why did I say Georgia Tech? Well, Tennessee it is. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, there you Tennessee. go. We're going to leave that in. We're going to leave that in, folks, because you know what? I screwed it up, so we're just going to leave it in. Go ahead. Ten, George, Tennessee yes. it is. Yes, he is. He, uh, he's, he's played 46 games for Tennessee. Uh, second year in a row, the UCF has added a Tennessee senior. This is, they added uh, – Just full ceiling in Tennessee. A guy who, if you read a lot of the articles out of Knoxville, people who cover the team will say they underutilized him. He's six foot two, about two hundred pounds, um, and, and you know hasn't really put up you know gigantic numbers. But again, I think people look at that as more of a fault upon the coaching staff and not putting him in good situations. So we'll see what he can do here. Two things: one, the Florida tie. He went uh, to American Heritage High School in Plantation. And then two, Eric, I think you'll agree with me that wide receiver was one of the one of the positions that UCF had to address through the transfer portal. They will address a couple more as they have a few more spots available, but one of them had to be addressing the wide receiving core, considering they had lost Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon, uh, Jacob Harris, and really even Otis Anderson, considering how much of a factor he is in the receiving game as well. They had to go out and get a wide receiver. They've done that, uh, and you know now we'll see where else they go. Yeah, that's a nice addition for Brandon there of Tennessee, getting out of Tennessee. And what do you think? I mean, I know it's early, but, like, I mean, he's got a chance to be a top three receiver. Can he kind of be – make the impact similar to what Trey Nixon did? And uh, we even saw – I mean, from Jalen Robinson, how would you compare that from uh, from a Trey Nixon who came from Ole Miss and obviously Jalen coming over? What, how would you compare Brandon Johnson and the potential impact to those two guys, that the impact they made? Yeah, I don't. I don't think like Jalen's a pure speed guy. Brandon more is a big body guy, a guy who can go up and get you know contest balls uh, over the middle of the field. Um, you know, a guy in coverage on third down can kind of bail you out. He's more of a safer target than Jalen, who you know it was really good last year for UCF football, but also is more of a, of a deep threat guy. I don't think you'll see that as much with Brandon Johnson, um, but the fact is they needed a, a, another target and they've got themselves a big one, a big, a, a big body guy. Uh, and when you lose, you know, you know, the heights of a guy like Jacob Harris and the safety of a guy like Marlon Williams, 
um, you need somebody like that to replace or try to replace them. The thing I'm most excited about is family genes. All right. Like, mm. In particular, his dad. Now, this kind of makes me excited and at the same time makes me depressed. So his dad is Charles Johnson, former Florida Marlins catcher, part of the World Series team in 1997. I was a, I'm was a huge Marlins fan, Murph. I was a big Charles Johnson fan. So I'm excited about that. In fact, I want – like we have to set up some sort of an interview with his dad, Charles Johnson, some way, somehow, just to talk baseball. And I feel like you would, you would, you would be okay with that. On the other hand, now I feel really old and depressed and I'm older now because I watched Charles Johnson play. <laughs> That's all. That's all I got to say. I mean, hey, time time does not stop for any of us. So, yeah, uh, welcome. You'll be watching the, the the son of the guy who you grew up watching as a kid. You know, uh, you know, in baseball. But I think the interesting UCF connection there is Greg Lovelady, UCF baseball head coach. Greg Lovelady, obviously a Miami grad, uh, grew up idolizing grew up idolizing Charles Johnson, and really uh, is one of the most important players in Greg Lovelady's life as a catcher. And so now uh, his son is going to be playing at UCF football. I think I, I just think that's kind of That is incredible. Oh, that just – that's got future article written all over that right there. Like I feel like you just got – you just found your content right there, Murph, for the next – you know, I don't know, timetable here. I don't know if uh, if Greg Lovelady and Charles Johnson ever met. I would imagine at some point their paths have crossed as South Florida catchers, but uh, – I have to ask if he has any interact if he has, if they have if he has had any interaction with Brandon when Brandon was a was a little kid I, I don't know and then also Brandon Johnson's cousin happens to be another football playing Johnson Chad Johnson Ocho Cinco uh, is now uh, his cousin is Brandon Johnson so lots of athletic connections with the new UCF transfer wide receiver that's pretty good stuff. I'm really excited from an editor editorial standpoint about that Lovelady Johnson story angle. I feel like <laughs> I, that has to has to ha- like if they haven't met. First of all, I would be shocked if they haven't met, and if they haven't met, like that has to happen now, right? Like it has to happen. I would imagine so. All right. I would imagine so. I remember I have to go back and look at the quotes, but I do remember Greg Lovelady talking to us before about how he grew up just loving Charles Johnson, like that was his guy. You know, when he was uh, when he was, you know, in his formative years, high school and into college. Very clever, Murph, to sneak in baseball, even when we're talking football. Very <laughs> clever on your part. Uh, although I, it's my fault. I started it. But we will talk a little baseball. Another connection to Greg Lovely later. But uh, let's talk about some of the guys that departed more the most. Brandon Moore, obviously. That's the big one that kind of departed. Uh, he announced he was going to enter the transfer portal. I believe it was Sunday, right? Was it Sunday? We're like and. I remember in our group chat, we talked about that, and the first thing that came to our mind is like, oh, Florida State. That might be – and we saw some of the followers from Florida State following him. And you made a great point when it happened, like, that he's really close with Mackenzie Milton. Well, we find out – I think it was Monday, officially, Brandon Moore is transferring to Florida State. Your thoughts on this? Because you, you kind of gotten to know Brandon and covered him. And uh, you kind of, and I think it's pretty clear. Mackenzie Milton, Brandon Moore, and I mentioned this on the group chat. It reminded me of when Tom Brady went to left the Patriots to go to the Bucks, and he was able to talk Gronk going to the Bucks. We don't know if that actually happened, but I gotta believe those two, as tight as they are, talked about this. And now Brandon Moore is a Seminole. Yeah, I think that people should understand. Like those two, KZ and Brandon Moore, are extremely tight and have been for years. Really, them and Gabe Davis were 
really a very, very tight click. So those guys together, uh, you know, re- you know, really were inseparable. So I, it does not surprise me that with Brandon Moore deciding to transfer that he's going to join McKenzie in Tallahassee. I, I would love to have known what his season has been like, at least physically, you know, because we were being teased before the year started by Josh Heupel, who really is never one to give any information but he was sort of teasing that Brandon Moore was going to play at some point this season, uh, coming back from his dislocated kneecap and torn ACL, which he suffered in the first game of the 2019 season. And, but that never, obviously never happened. That, you know, he was never, he never did play, never dressed up, never dressed out. Um, obviously was involved with the, with the other four players who were, who were removed from the team. He was involved in that traffic incident where he was the only one of the five who were, um, I would guess you could say suspended, but none of them, but only only more stayed on the team. I'm not sure how that worked, but overall, I think Brandon Moore's legacy is he was a really good corner. I, I think underrated. So because he was never a flashy guy, he, uh, you know, he didn't get the huge numbers, but he's a really, really, really good cover corner. Um, and I think people overlooked him a little bit. So I, I, I wish him the best. Obviously, I want to see him play. Uh, seeing him play with McKenzie would be fantastic. We hope he's healthy and ready to go next year. I, I don't think he would be transferring if he didn't think he could play somewhere. Um, I'm not going to speculate as to why he's tra- why he's transferring, uh, just because no one should ever do that because you don't know these people. You don't know their lives and their struggles or what they're dealing with either outside the program or inside the program. I just hope that Brandon Moore has found a place where he thinks he can go play, enjoy himself, and I look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, and I can, I understand why the fans were kind of, you know, the, the emotions on it. I think, right, as sports fans, we get attached to guys, especially when they were part of something special, and he was part of a special run at UCF. So it makes sense that you would yeah. be more emotionally attached to it. So I, I understood that. Uh, the only things I did not agree with from an, emo, an emotional attachment is the people that questioned the guys that were declaring for the NFL draft. Like, they were shocked that they wouldn't come back for an extra year. Uh, that part, I think, is wrong. I don't understand where that mindset came from. And, you know, Jacob Harris appeared on our friends, uh, Sons of UCF. They were on the podcast there. And, Murph, to your credit, you talked about, why you know, the possibilities of why Jacob Harris may have left. And he pretty much said word for word what you described, which is Jacob Harris said in that podcast interview, and, and I encourage people to check it out if they want, he basically had decided before the season he was ready to move on. He was going to move on. He, it, it, and really, it wasn't about the NFL draft per se. Yeah, he got some feedback on that, but it's he's been in college a long time. He was ready to move on, and I don't know if fans grasp that, and I was glad that he mentioned that in the interview he did with the son, the guys at Sons of UCF, and it was the same things that you have kind of said. Yeah, and it just goes to show, like again, like I think people look at the people who – people on the outside look at athletes leaving for the NFL draft as if they can only leave – if their draft stock is really high, if they're going to be like a first, second round pick. And if they can't, then they should definitely come back to play more football to improve their draft stock. Not understanding whatsoever that one, coming back does not mean you automatically improve your draft stock. Uh, two, there are so many other things going on in these kids' lives that does not include football. And so maybe Jacob Harris does not pan out in the NFL, but he's ready to move on. He's ready to get out of college and, and become a professional in some aspect. Uh, whatever that is, if it's sports or otherwise. And so I would understand that people kind of freaked out a little bit when the Brandon Moore thing came down and people need to like settle themselves and prepare for an off season of like, 
tremendous monumental player movement, uh, which, you know, well, we'll see what happens, you know, Eric. They've pushed back the immediate waiver. They've, they've kicked the can down the road. But yeah. assuming that does go through at some point, you're going to see guys transferred all over the place. And so I think it's really um, – it's just way too immediate and kind of hasty to say that look at the list of guys who have left UCF either for the pros or they've gone and transferred out. Like, there must be something wrong with the program that makes these guys want to leave. Like, no. I, I really think that's too hasty to say that because, one, you don't know – all these kids are leaving for different reasons, either football or not. And then secondly, you're going to see this happen all over the country in so many, in so many programs and, and conferences and big schools and little schools. Like it's going to be free agency. And yeah, I mean, UCF has been on, was on the, I guess you could say the, the more enjoyable side of it this week when they signed Brandon Johnson, like um, I'm sure Tennessee fans, you know, probably didn't like to see him go, but this is what it's going to be. You're going to see losing, you're going to be gaining and losing guys coming and goings all off season long, just prepare, prepare for it. It's part of the game. You don't need to all of a sudden take that and extrapolate it into some sort of indictment upon the program. Cause I think then that's very like out of, that's like out of touch. Yeah. Well said there. Uh, reports from football which does a lot of football spec uh, rumors and, and reports. They're reporting that Daryl Wyatt, the wide receiver coach at UCF uh, is not at UCF. It appears that he might be headed towards Auburn. Uh, we don't know anything official there, but what, what are, what's your thoughts on that? What have you heard, Merv, on Wyatt and the impact? Because I know that's been some people have been chattering about that. Uh, and, you know, it would be the second coach if he were to leave uh, from the staff. Uh, but, again, this is kind of the norm in college, especially in, the, in, in college football, where, hey, if you've got an opportunity to go to a big program and, you know, make more money, you're going to do that. We just saw that with Cincinnati where their defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, is leaving to go to Notre Dame. And their offensive coordinator was is interviewing at Vanderbilt. So that's just part of the course. It is. So there's players move, coaches move too. Uh, I, I think this Daryl Wyatt move kind of caught everyone off guard a little bit, but – um, you know, it, it is what it is. And so now UCF might be, might, you know, have to look into getting a new wide receivers coach. And it's been thrown around that somebody they're possibly looking at is Auburn's wide receivers coach, Cody Burns, who, for those who don't remember him, he played on the uh, national national title team back in, what was it, 2011, I believe. Yeah, the Cam uh, team, he's yeah. A wide receivers, yeah, he's a wide receivers coach for Auburn. After playing for them, he went into coaching. And he's been, I think, with that team for a few years as a wide receivers coach. He's now been rumored to be filling Wyatt's spot uh, as Wyatt is ostensibly going to go to Auburn. So an interesting trade possibly there. Uh, again, it's hard, to, it's hard to say like what this means for the program. I, again, no one knows. Uh, it's a coach. Um, it, you know, We'll see. But uh, that seems to be the latest as far as where UCF stands. Uh, as far as the wide receivers coach, you know, is, you know, goes, it did. It certainly surprised me. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't hearing any rumors about, oh, Daryl Wyatt's definitely gone after the end of the year. Like, no, he, he decided that he's going to find a, a, another job. Like, okay, great. Like, good for him. I got nothing. Last I heard, the SEC pays well if he worked there. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's not a bad place. Uh, yeah. Make sure you check out blackandgoldbanneret.com. UCF football roster move tracker. That is on our site right now. Luke Sarris has posted it. We'll update that, the comings and goings uh, on the UCF football team throughout this offseason. And that is not including 
Parker Boudreaux, which I know you and Jeff discussed at length, so I won't get into it as much like you guys did last week, but his future's still up in the air. He's still on the roster, but obviously the speculation continues whether he is going to have a career in pro wrestling. But the only thing I'm going to add here, Murph, is that could be any time. There's no deadline on that. Um, And I don't know what his academic situation is as far as degrees are concerned because he might just be trying to finish off his degree and then go into pro wrestling. Or he might still come back and play football. We don't know. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, talk. I've written about it. But that's kind of where we're at at this at this hour with Parker Boudreaux, uh, since I know you guys talk. That's the only thing I would add to that story. Uh, and basically that it there's no deadline. It's not like if you're declaring for the NFL, there's a deadline. There's, there's no deadline here. He's probably going to join. He could join wrestling whenever. He wants, basically. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. I felt bad that we had to have that conversation in a week where you were not on the podcast, but you get to say your piece now. There you go. That's um, all we're do. I did want to mention before we go to break, there's another name I wanted to bring up that, that uh, has entered the portal, and that was just Jakaius Credle. Yeah. The big, tall, lanky uh, freshman receiver from last year who did get some playing time. Uh, they call him Stretch because he's six foot three. He was a big get in last year's uh, recruiting class. He is transferring. He is in the portal. Uh, and so that's a, yet another reason why UCF needed to go get a big-bodied receiver in a guy like Johnson. Very well said. And by the way, remember, and it's just because you get through the portal does not mean you can't come back. Right. So just keep that in mind before you make initial reactions and freak out. <laughs> Let's let the process play itself out. Um, that's what I would say. <laughs> the rest of the process. We'll, we'll get you. Uh, we'll keep you updated on BlackandGoldBenerate.com. Some other notes, uh, news, and notes before we sign off and wrap up. Uh, women's soccer announced their schedule on Thursday. For, uh, this is going to be wild. Uh, it's going to start Valentine's Day, February fourteenth. UCF women's soccer will play at Temple. Uh, it is a eight-game conference schedule that they will have. Starting February 14th, four home matches, four on the road. They have one non-conference match. That will be Sunday, February 7th against Miami at home. Uh, And then everything else will be in conference play. So nine matches. That's part of the spring schedule. The the American Conference uh, semifinals will be held April 15th. The top four make it. The American Championship final would be on Saturday, April 17th. So that's when women's soccer will begin. No official word at the time of this recording on men's soccer, but if you follow soccer closely, they usually start around the same weekend. So it wouldn't surprise me if men's soccer is right around the same time frame. And by the way, that's also the same weekend women's softball starts, Murph. You get my drift here? (laughs) What's going on? Oh, my God. (laughs) I I mean, mean, before we even get to softball, that soccer game against Miami is the same day as the UCF-USF women's basketball game. That's a good point. Which is at 2 o'clock. So you get the soccer game at 1 and then maybe you stick around for the end, or you could go watch the, the you know the full game there, and then go to the second half of the UCF USF game across the road. That, get used to that. We're going to be saying that often. Uh, <laughs> I really do. That that is going to be really often. That is wild. Um, yeah. To say the least. All right. So they got their they're all scheduled, of course. Uh, on that, uh, UCF by the way will be traveling to USF. Uh, those are probably USF's probably be among the favorites them in Memphis in the league. But 
Volleyball starts next weekend. I know we're probably going to get into a lot of that next week because volleyball starts. It's, it's going to be a wild, bizarre spring. I can't wait to talk to all these coaches about it because I can't even imagine what's going through their mind. They're usually playing a spring season just for practice, just to get ready for the fall, not have an actual season. Prayer, prayers up to all the SIDs. <laughs> Right, and Miami, what's funny about Miami is they already played their fall, their season in the fall because the ACC did play. So it's, it's, a, it's a little oh, bit of wow. a – Yeah, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's just going to be so bizarre and so weird to get used to uh, that I, I don't know what to, what to expect on this, on this. One thing I can tell you, uh, the men's and women's tennis teams will be ranked in the top 20. That also came out this uh, with the men's – started a record-breaking preseason ranking of 16th uh, for the – is that right? Wow. That is wild yeah. ranking. 16th for the men's – Coach Roddick getting it done there, ranked 16th in the preseason poll for UCF tennis, uh, men's tennis, and then the women's are ranked 18th in the preseason poll. Wow. And baseball, Fantastic. Murph, segue, 25th in the <laughs> preseason poll for perfect games for Coach Lovelady. I mean, does that does that matter though? <laughs> well, for this narrative that I was trying to kind of build here, but <laughs> I know, I know, I've seen the other rankings. They're thirty-two in uh, collegiate uh, baseball news, and that's great. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really care too much for preseason <laughs> polls, but uh, that that happened, as it were. That that did happen. They are ranked in a couple of polls. Hurrah! Can I get a schedule? <laughs> Can I get a schedule? You should be getting a schedule. I, okay, here you go, Murphy. I'm here to help you. I can tell you that the American met this week, talking to people and sources, and they have voted on the schedule and the format. So we should be getting that out soon. If not, I thought they did. I thought they did that like a month ago before the UCF bowl game. They had voted. They had voted nah, on the schedule. You gotta approve. You know, it's always an approve. You know, things change, Murph. You gotta make sure everybody's. Getting, you know, getting very antsy over here. I have can you, tell have, you have are. You about, have you talked about softball? Did I have a stroke while you talked about no, softball? No, not yet. Did I, you talk see, about no, uh, softball, as you mentioned, the softball. That's what it was a good segue. I was trying to pull off there. Softball was voted number one. By the American coaches. Uh, so they'll be the preseason favorites. South Florida is second and uh, Houston third. Those are probably clearly the top three teams in the league. So high expectations. I expect softball to be ranked in the preseason top 25 as well when that comes out. So you're probably going to have three teams. And then depending on how you – I don't know how you could classify the baseball rankings because there's a 1,000 polls in baseball. It's absurd. That's Yeah, that's point uh, and none of them are really indicative of anything i guess the d1 poll is the one you care about most but like you know look uh, greg lovelady will have the same reaction he won't care either so it is what it is but it should show people that if you only care about football and basketball like get off it we got lots of really good fall slash spring sport teams this year playing in the spring i mean tennis soccer softball baseball they're all very good it's all gonna be going on at the same time Oh, boy. Volleyball's the preseason favorites to win the American as well. So, Oh, oh yeah. To, but which we'll get into next week. So, yeah, softball will be the preseason favorites. UCF, South Florida, that's going to be the top two teams. But I expect the schedule – I'm not going to speak for baseball, but softball, I wouldn't be shocked if we see us hear about a schedule in the next week. But part of the issue here, Murph, to, in, in defense, because I've talked to a lot of coaches across the board, 
they're still finalizing schedules as we speak because there's some schools that they probably was on the schedule that have pulled out because of restrictions and travel and budgets and COVID. So it is a serious situation. It's not as simple as, hey, guys, here's the schedule. There's kind of some last-minute things you got to do. We saw this with basketball. Oh, sure, absolutely. No, I, I don't mean to be flippant with it. I'm just, you know, again, I, I'm just you know trying to be a little lighthearted. I understand the difficulty that goes into putting all of this together. As you said, with every sport, none of this is going to be easy. No. Um, I just, I'm just being selfish, and I would like a schedule. Thank you. <laughs> you just want to be at a baseball all. stadium soon. Uh, you want to know when. I understand. Uh, in the meantime, while we, while we, I can't tell you when you know we can play. We do have a little appetite for you baseball fans out there. Cool treat uh, coming up on our BlackAndGoldBanneret.com here over the weekend, maybe early next week. A special exclusive interview, my friend with UCF Baseball Hall of Famer and American League champion assistant coach uh, Chad Matola. We got a chance to talk to Chad this week, and that was a lot of fun. Greg Lovelady, we mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about him, and Matola talked about the UCF program, but really a cool treat to look out for in BlackEagleBanner.com. Chad Matola, exclusive uh, chat there. What Give me your thoughts there on Chad uh, and, and that time we got to spend with him, obviously coming off the World Series run with the Rays. I thought he was great. Uh, we spent like what thirty-five minutes yeah. with him and, yeah. and talking, not obviously about his UCF career and, and what it was like back then uh, when he was playing in the in the early nineties, but also his his long professional career, much of it spent in the minor leagues, and then obviously his, his, his descent in the coaching ranks as the hitting coach of the uh, American League champion Rays. Um, he's had a, he's had a, quite a baseball life, and I thought he was he was good, telling some stories, being very in depth with how, with everything that's really happened to him in the past uh, almost 30 years of his life, dating back to when he committed to UCF. Yeah, so we are look forward to that. That's going to be on our YouTube page as well, but it's also going to be on our site. I know Brian's going to write about it. And by the way, I'm not going to spoil this, but like Brian does put him on the spot and ask him, hey, when is Major League Baseball coming back? So he's not just asking about college baseball scheduling. He's also asking about Major League Baseball. So You have to. I mean, the, the, man, the man does have some Major League Baseball ties. He should know. So, yeah. So look for that this weekend. Murph's going to be working on that. I think you're also working on a Matthew Wright piece that well, obviously we just had him on the podcast, but you're also going to add to that with an article there. Uh, so you're going to be busy. You're busy, man. I mean, I mean, it's just you know we want people we want people to watch our interviews. So I'll just write very short, nothing like I usually do for the night shifts. These aren't going to be long soliloquies. I just want people to see what we've who we've talked to. That's all. Just just pushing people to different content. And obviously, we, much. that's right. And we'll be covering the Houston game on Sunday. Uh, UCF Houston, we'll see how that goes. And, of course, we'll follow on Black and Go Banneret for all of that. So that will do it for this episode. Uh, thanks to Murph for joining me. And uh, Jeff hopefully gets uh, better and learns not to talk trash about me <laughs> so he can stay on the shows. I have a feeling he'll be back next week, though. He ain't missing the volleyball week show. I mean, we know that, right, Murph? So maybe you're, like you said Actually, earlier, maybe you might, I, I guess- you know, we'll see. He's definitely not missing ball. I mean, that is his baby. So yeah. it's like it's like you know, you're softball and I'm baseball, and that's he's volleyball definitely. But I guess I'll just preemptively say like you know goodbye for now since it's my week off next week apparently <laughs> since we're all going we're all going in turns. Yeah. I might as well just say right now like I'm I'm operation shutdown for next Wednesday's podcast or whatever we record. <laughs> Maybe might as well. Who knows? Because then you might be like at five sporting events every day like starting in February. Uh, <laughs> so who knows? So. Uh, Thanks to Matthew Wright for joining us on this edition. Uh, For everybody here uh, from Earth, 
uh, and Jeff. I'm Eric. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.